me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> We're going to take a few weeks away from Ephesians uh, during Advent. The comedian Kathy Ladman uh, has a line that she uses that uh, I think is probably more and more accepted among many people in terms of uh, uh, views uh, of the church and so on. What she says is, all religions are the same. Religion is basically guilt with different holidays. Now, there's a sense I actually agree with that, but not probably in the sense she means it. Uh, the, the sense that I would agree with the basic statement is because I wouldn't put Christianity in with religion. Religion, as, as I understand it and as I see it, are, uh, is the, the, the act of what we do to try to get to God. That's religion. Christianity is just the opposite. Christianity is actually a, a record of what God has done to bring relationship with us. Now, that's what we're going to be looking at uh, uh, during this Advent series. We're going to look at what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. And I'm just going to tell you right up front, it's Jesus. Pretty obvious, right? But we're going to look at uh, various aspects of, of who he is, but he is what makes Christianity absolutely unique among all world religions. Let's read in Matthew chapter 1. We'll begin with the 18th verse. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took his wife. He knew her not until she'd given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, as we bow before you this day, there are no doubt some in this room who are simply practicing religion. Trying to do whatever is necessary to get to you. But Lord, you've told us that that's simply hopeless without Jesus. And so will you show us the why and the how, but especially who he is and what he came to do. We want to know him better. We need to know him better. Will you cause that to take place today by your precious spirit? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as Mark said, we're starting a series that uh, I'm calling What Child Is This? And I, I think a legitimate question right up front would be, what do you mean? Why, why are you talking about the child? Isn't what Jesus did as an adult what's really important? especially in terms of our salvation. I mean, after all, that's, that's when he preached, that's when he taught, that's when he went to the cross. So why consider the child other than that he was one? Martin Luther in his works said this, He said, we are not to ascend the study of the divine majesty before we have adequately understood this little infant. We are to ascend into heaven by that ladder which is placed before us using those steps which God prepared and used. The Son of God does not want to be seen and found in heaven. Therefore, he descended from heaven to this earth and came to us in our flesh. He placed himself in the womb of his mother in her lap and on the cross. And this is the ladder by which we are to ascend to God. Now in what Luther is saying there is this, look. 
absolutely. We, we never, ever minimize the importance of what Jesus did on the cross, obviously. But for us to best understand him, God <coughs> said he came as a baby. There was a reason for that. And so we need to consider that. We need to look into that. We need to understand that if we are to know the real Jesus. So let's take a look at, uh, at this. And we're going to, in the next uh, four weeks, look from different angles and using different names of, of Jesus, uh, try to understand him from the aspects that God has revealed. Look what it says in verse 20 of Matthew 1. But as he, this is Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to talk about that. What's this virgin birth thing? Is that, is that even necessary for us to, to grasp? Why, what, what's the impact of believing that or, or not believing that. So I'm just gonna kind of ignore those verses that speak to that in this passage today, but next week we'll look into them in some depth. Then in verse 21 it says, she'll bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. Now, the reason this is important is, first of all, because the name was given from God, literally by an angel, but given from God. Now, if you look through the scripture, uh, you'll see again and again that uh, God names or renames people, and he does it for a reason. Even when he talks about himself, uh, there's, there's more in the name than just a name. But you think back to the first man, Adam, which means man. Then Abram, which means exalted father, changed to Abraham, father of many. In the New Testament, Peter, the rock, upon his confession of who the Christ is, Jesus would build his church. Saul changed to Paul because he's a new creation. The Old Testament names of God uh, revealed his nature. Think in terms of what we think of at Christmas. Wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, all of those are, are names that he's called by. So what's unique about the name Jesus? Well, the fact is, it's not really that unique in terms of the name itself. It was rather common. Let me tell you about three other Jesus in the Bible. And it tells us a little bit also about, about his name. Jesus comes from the Greek form of a Hebrew name. The Hebrew name, uh, the form was Jehoshua, 
which was from Hosea, which means saving, and it was altered uh, by Moses into Jehoshua, which is Jehovah, our salvation, and you know what it was shortened to, what? Joshua, yeah, and that's the Old Testament form, uh, of the, the same as the name Jesus, but the Old Testament form. Now, Joshua was a type of Christ. What we mean by that, if somebody is a, a if in the Old Testament you have a type of Christ, is that, that that person, in some of the things they did, they pointed toward what Christ himself would do. Think about Joshua. What did he do? Well, he took God's people, he conquered and settled them in the promised land. They followed him, right, into the promised land. What does the promised land point toward? The promised land points towards heaven. And so Joshua was that type of Christ that, that he himself, the Christ, Jesus, would lead his people ultimately to the ultimate promised land. There's a second forebearer in the Old Testament, and I suspect that uh, uh, less of you would know about him because it's actually in Zechariah. Zechariah is a book in the Old Testament. It is one of the prophets. Well, in Zechariah 3, uh, Yeshua or Jeshua, was a high priest. And there's a vivid story of this, this high priest. Uh, he appears in a vision uh, to, um, in Zechariah 3. He's in court before God, and there is an accusation from Satan, from the evil one, toward him. Now, what it says about uh, uh, Jeshua is that the clothes that he had on were completely stained. They were filthy clothes that he was wearing. And then in this vision, Jeshua, as the representative of Israel, God defeats Satan. And then the Lord rebukes him. He declares that he will redeem his erring people. And then in token of that, what he commands is that this accused priest be clad in clean robes and with a clean turban. What do you think that represents? Do you see how it represents Christ in his righteousness. You know, in essence, wearing our robes, wearing our filth on the cross, but ultimately in the robes of righteousness. It pointed toward the work of Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you about the third Jesus in, in just a minute. But let's look at the fulfillment of the name. Look at verse 21. She'll, she'll bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. That he will save from their sins. The implication is, it's obvious. There's a need. There's a need to be saved. From what? From sin. Now, now the, in the original language, the word for sin is the idea of missing the mark. Or, you know, if you're a traveler, missing the turnoff. And uh, I don't know if any of you did that while you were traveling. You know, well, when, when that happens, say, oh, yeah, this is God's common grace to remind me of what sin really is, is like. You know, I wanted to go one way, but I went another way. Well, that's, that's what it says, that uh, uh, Jesus is to, to save them from. But we can't understand Christmas, we can't understand Christ completely if we start in the Gospels. If we're gonna go by Luther's principle, we've got to go by the latter God reveals, and the latter God reveals starts way back in Genesis. And that's where we see not an implied need, but rather an actual need. What's our problem? What do we need to be, be saved from? Well, we see that Adam and Eve are in the beautiful garden. They have perfect fellowship with God. And then there's two problems. One is, we have these two problems that we need to be saved from. One is that we're sons of Adam. And the second is that we act like our father, Adam. Now, we're that Where'd that come from? Back in Genesis, we see original sin coming in to the garden. Adam represented all of mankind, all of those that would come after him. And that's why when we, when we talk about uh, being a son of Adam, that's original sin. But then when, when we talk about acting like Adam, that's what we call actual sin. So sin comes into the garden and it comes into the world and then there's a curse from God. This is what he says. To Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you in pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth uh, for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Now, understand that work is not the curse. Work was there before. But what he was saying is now that sins come into the world, work is gonna be hard. It's gonna be toilsome. So that is a part of the curse. So then he goes on. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for your dust and to dust you shall return. So what, what part of the curse is that? Death. It's immediate death. They immediately experience separation from God. It's physical death that ultimately their, their bodies would deteriorate which they weren't up till that point, evidently. 
but they would deteriorate and then, then they would ultimately die and then it was eternal death. All of those because sin came into the world and the world is cursed. Now let's go back to the pronouncement because in Genesis 3.15, and this is, this is the key, this is what's gonna take us all the way back to the Gospels. In Genesis 3.15, we hear about a fix. And it's not a quick fix. It's not an easy or a cheap fix. But it is a permanent fix. And here's what God says. I'll put enmity between you, speaking to Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. So we see the woman on the one side, she was uh, first seduced. Man in his pride blamed the woman, but through the woman, God was gonna provide the one who would save his people from their sins. And then between Satan and Christ, it says this, he shall bruise your head, that's, the, that's Christ, and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. So if you've ever had a bruised heel, you get it. That hurts, makes you limp, but a, a bruised or crushed head is death. So Satan, on, when Jesus was on the cross, thought, I am crushing his head. But because he walked out of the tomb, we see he only bruised his heel. This is, uh, we, we give out the Jesus Storybook Bible. And if you ever get a chance, read the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is how it puts it. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come and rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. So how's that work out? How did God keep that promise? That's where we fast forward then to the Gospels because everything from Genesis all the way to the Gospels was leading up to the coming of Jesus. It was all pointing toward the coming of Jesus. Who's this one that's going to save? And who is he going to save? Well, he's not gonna save all the sons of Adam, and he's not going to save all those who act like the father, Adam. It's not all mankind that he's ultimately going to save. See, if Jesus came to save all mankind and all mankind was not saved, then there's only one conclusion, and that is that he failed in what he came to do. But instead, 
the scripture is very clear about what his mission was. He shall save his people from their sins. That was his mission, and that is what he accomplished. So who are his people? Well, we've been talking about that in the study of Ephesians, but let me just boil it down so you can know, all right? You always wonder, who, who are these people? His people are those who trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. That's who his people are. You don't need to worry about, am I one of his people? Ask yourself, am I trusting in Christ alone for my eternal life? And if you are, the reason you are, remember Ephesians, is because he gave you a new heart. It was a gift from God. This week, we all saw some ugly scenes of violence in Ferguson and elsewhere, still are. We saw angry mobs. If you weren't careful, you might have gotten angry at the angry mob. Might have taken sides with that. It's hard not to. What's the perspective? On this. Well, I told you that there is another Jesus that I was going to tell you about, a third one, not Jesus Christ, but another one. During Jesus' trial in front of Pilate, the Gospels tell us that there was a prisoner, Barabbas. Barabbas literally means. Bar means son, and Abbas, you know that from Abba, father, son of the father. He was an insurrectionist, a rebel, a murderer, and responsible for murders of many. And he was a condemned man. He was trotted out by Pilate, who really wanted the people to choose him, apparently, because he couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus. But he gave a choice because of their holiday. And he said, would you get to choose a prisoner to live? And they chose Barabbas. The sinful, angry mob chose Barabbas. Ironically, his name is Jesus Barabbas. Now in that, they took the one who had done violence, they took the one who was the murderer and deserved his own death, instead of the one who had done no violence, the one who deserved no punishment, but in God's providence was the one to take the place of the many. 
they thought Barabbas could save them from their Roman oppressors. They didn't understand Jesus could save them from eternal oppression and damnation. I know it's, you can see the difference there. It's easy from our perspective. But let me ask you this. Some of you may be looking for a Savior that, that is going to save you from your problems. A Savior that's going to save your marriage or save your financial woes or save you from yourself or save you from your disease. If that's all you're looking for, you're missing the true picture here. If you're looking for that Jesus, understand that that's what the mob who chose Barabbas was looking for because they didn't realize their greatest and their deepest need. If you think those are your deepest needs, you're as mistaken as they were. Our deepest need is the, the one who can save his people from their sins. So Kathy Ladman says all religions are the same. Religion is basically guilt with different holidays. Actually, Christianity is the message of freedom from guilt. The only message of freedom from guilt. And Jesus died for angry mobs and for those who were in those mobs. Let's pray together. We thank you for that great salvation that you offer. The gift, the free gift that we cannot work for or pay for or pay you back for. Lord, will you enable us to receive that gift from you to trust in Jesus Christ alone for our eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name.